welcome to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater. Episode 18 with Dan McCauley. Hey everyone, hope you had a good week. I hope you've got a good week lined up ahead. Um, I'm in South Africa now, just spent the last week settling in, so staying in a small apartment not far from the beach so I can watch all the kite surfing action going on. Hopefully going to get some photos. Not been very windy actually, um, which is rare for this place. It's normally super windy. I think we've had maybe one or two days of wind since I've been here, um, which is not a lot in an entire week. Anyway, got a few people over here that are lined up I'm going to speak to over the course of the next fortnight or so. And we've got the Red Bull King of the Air about to start. And I've noticed this morning they're just putting the um, all the staging in for the judging area and everything like that. So there's construction starting to happen down on the beach. Waiting period, I think, starts on the 26th. Um, and then that'll be two-week waiting period, picking the, the windiest day. Let's hope the wind blows, because at the moment it's um, it's not been very good at all. Anyway, this week I've got a great podcast for you. It's with a gentleman called Dan McCauley. I've known Dan for quite a long time now, pretty much since I started working in the water sports industry. And this one's one of those interesting episodes where it's a little bit more about a different career path, I would say, and making a slightly different decision in the way that you want to live your life. And that then leading to something that's very fruitful and successful. Dan's not a pro rider. Um, he's a windsurfer by trade, but a very accomplished surfer and enjoys stand-up paddle as well. So he's a bit of an all-round waterman, likes his road biking and a bit of mountain biking and snow sports as well. But he discovered a love for water sports at a very young age and then sort of realised that he quite liked to get into the idea of working in the industry and probably managed to land himself the best job on the planet at the time, which was the European Marketing Director for O'Neill Wetsuits. Now, O'Neill as a company are arguably one of the most successful accessories companies in the business, um, you know, head and shoulders above some of the other wetsuit brands out there when you look at the numbers. And certainly back at the time when Dan started, it was a, a time when cash was flush in the industry and he got to do some amazing things with it. The interesting thing as well was he was only 24 at the time. So for a 24-year-old kid straight out of getting his degree, um, to pull a job like that was pretty impressive. Anyway, that shaped his future. And four years in, he did the unthinkable and jumped ship to set up his own business, a company called Bramwave, which is a sports marketing company. And it's been incredibly successful. Um, you know, Dan at times has had 30-odd people working for him and offices in Germany as well as the UK and clients from all over the world with you know, all sorts of huge brands um, using his services and his team as well. He's had some fantastic travels over the years, been some amazing spots, and I just thought it'd be an interesting person to speak to a little bit more about the business side of things and how he sees the industry and sees where things are going. So that's generally the crux of the chat. I'm going to stop waffling as ever and just let's get straight into it so you can enjoy hearing all about Dan McCauley and his incredible life so far. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you are listening to this episode from. I'm sat across the table in a slightly formal environment in the offices of Brandwave with a gentleman called Dan McCauley, who heads up that company. Um, and he's an interesting character who I've known for quite a long time, probably since I got into kitesurfing and became the editor of uh, Kitesurf UK magazine 
a long time ago and we've become friends uh, since then through his various roles and have always stayed in touch. He's got an interesting outlook on life. He's an exceedingly talented windsurfer and I consider quite a talented businessman as well. I hope you won't mind me saying that. And I thought it'd be a good person to get on and have a chat about um, how he got into his water sports career, where it's taken him and the kind of direction that he's going in now. So Dan, first question to you. Um, when did you start windsurfing and getting into water sports? I grew up in Ireland. Um, yeah. My dad uh, was a songwriter and there was a tax break for um, performing arts in the 70s. No way. <laughs> um, so I think I was, I was born in the UK and when I was three months old, I moved to Ireland. And I grew up in um, on the southwest coast in a place called Oysterhaven. And, you know, it, it's a huge water sports centre there run by a guy called Oliver Hart. Um, and right in front of my house, there was every day, you know, sailing and windsurfing and kayaking and um, it was all I wanted to do and uh, every year you know my mum would take me along and say you know, is, is he old enough to do is he big enough and I try and, I try and hold like a windsurf sail and, and, and now he's not big enough <laughs> uh, eventually I think when I was about 11 I, I started and and as soon as I started I was, I was completely hooked I think yeah. pretty much since day one I, I got the bug and it's influenced everything in my life the, the clothes I wear who my friends are, the car that I drive, the places I travel to, the um, the, the jobs that I work in. Yeah, and I think uh, it only gets more addictive the the, the older you get, as, as as well you know yourself. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with that wholeheartedly. And you must have, because when I first met you, you were working what probably was one of the the best jobs in, on the planet, which was for O'Neill, the um, wetsuit company, and you were marketing manager there, I think, at the time. How did you transition from being an eleven-year-old windsurfer, getting the bug, to suddenly ending up, you know, with probably one of the best jobs on the planet in the water sports business? You know, I, I definitely wasn't the academic type. Um, you know, I, I wasn't particularly interested in, in school. Um, and initially, when I finished school, I went to work in film. Um, but I did get more and more interested in uh, creativity and psychology and business. Um, so a year later, I went. I did a, a degree in, in uh, marketing, okay. and then I and I, you know, really, really got into that. And then I went on to the master's degree. Um, I definitely don't think you need a formal education, you know, necessarily, especially these days. That's the best route um, in, into the industry. Um, and as as for working for for, for O'Neill. Um, I was the European marketing director when I was I was quite young. I think yeah. about twenty four, twenty five. That's and quite an impressive accolade. Yeah, hit that level the, uh, twenty four. The um, it it came um, via um, an introduction from Fred Willis. Um, yeah, no, Fred to uh, to D Caldwell, who's a legend in his own right and was the sales manager of um, O'Neill at the time at the London Boat Show. Okay. Uh, way back when and I think I just wanted it more than anybody else and and I realized at the time you know I didn't you know I didn't have the necessary experience perhaps and so so what I did is is I think for my second interview I wrote kind of like a marketing audit and I went around and I spoke to the magazines spoke to athletes spoke to retailers and some some manufacturers 
and King was, I guess, quite quite a critical assessment <laughs> of what I thought the status quo was at the time and how I'd fix it. And I think uh, I think they found it quite amusing. And uh, yeah, they said, "Okay, we'll give you a trial," and you know, it, it, it went from there. It opened the door for you. Yeah, that's quite a ballsy move to sit there and pick apart one of the biggest windsurfing or you know wetsuit brands. <laughs> marketing strategies yeah you know it's 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 very um it's very easy to look back and you know say i was ballsy or this or that but i think uh at the time my uh my second option was um uh, assistant marketing manager in a dental insurance company right so uh, (laughs) the stakes were high i had motivation When you've got that as a backdrop, you're like, yes, I definitely need this to kick off. I must get this job. And was that your first job in the water sports industry? Or had you done other things before then? I grew up in in the water sports industry. um, Like, as in, um, I taught and competed in a lot of different water sports. As I said, I grew up inside a big um, water sports school. Um, called the Oyster Haven Centre. So and, were you working there? Was that your first? And, and, I, and I worked there like from my early teens, you know, working my way up as instructor in windsurfing and sailing and uh, kayaking and, and all those things. And um, that really formed my love of, of water sports. And um, I think the path that I was going down on, on life was probably not a particularly healthy path um, at, at that at that time. And it really changed me on on, on numerous levels. Um, but you know, I, I see not just water sports, but sports as as a catalyst for positive change. You know, on on, on, on many levels, like personal, physically, psychologically, societally, um, and even for businesses as well. And I think that that was really heavily installed in in, in me um, by the time I'd finished university, and and, I, and I'd met a couple of people. Chris Martin and, and, yeah. and Fred Willis and they were super inspirational and I thought I really you know, want to be part of that if, game if I can I want, I want to be in how long were you working at O'Neill for as the European marketing director it was quite a while um, four years okay yeah four years um, and that was back when O'Neill was family owned so owned by, by Jack yeah. and, and Pat O'Neill and there was many other elements to it uh, particularly the clothing which was licensed to different um partners around the world and other licensees as well but it was essentially the O'Neill Inc which um, which I worked for owned the O'Neill name yeah um, and it was um, it was a great time in terms of the action sports industry it was it was um, quite it different was, to how was, things are now yeah it was booming back <laughs> yeah, then wasn't it, it it was booming and, and we got to do a lot of glamorous stuff there was a lot um, more money floating around yeah there was a lot more money sales meetings in the in Oahu, etc., and, <laughs> and running like um, you know QS events and stuff like that, and um, yeah, it was quite it was quite a glamorous time, I think, and you know I'm I'm glad to have been a part of it during yeah. during that time because that's a great opportunity to be you know sponsoring world surf events. That's on the scale of what we talk about in terms of windsurfing, kite surfing, even yeah. mountain biking. It's just on a whole other level the amount of you know, fandom and money that's sloshing around in that side of the sport. 100%. And, and like, O'Neill, you know, started as a wetsuit brand, you know, and, and principally still is. And for me, you know, there's a lot of people who work in, in let's say, the, the action sports industry, particularly clothing, who aren't, you know, don't get to do the sports or aren't into, into the sports themselves. But for me, it was really important, you know, to be, to be hands-on. And yeah. so working... Um, working for, for the for the wetsuit side of it was really fun. 
And did you get much time to actually windsurf and surf yourself while you were doing that job, or was it fairly full time? At, at the time, like obviously, surfing was you know the the core focus um, and the largest market and the largest growth market. But at the time, yeah, O'Neill was was involved in windsurfing and, and wakeboarding pretty heavily as well, um, and, and diving and, and uh, yeah, I, I, I do all the sports, uh, <laughs> all very badly. Um, but yeah, and, and again, offices near the beach. Um, actually, these offices, these ones used to be. The, the oh, really? Offices that we're sat in. Yeah, so, we, yes, we, we yeah. took them over uh, about five six years ago. Oh, classic! Uh, when, That's, when, when they moved out. That was very full circle. Yeah, <laughs> it's very very strange moving back in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's good that you found that you know there's a work-life balance with the water sports that you do when you're working within the industry because I think a lot of people who look for careers in water sports and one of the reasons I thought it'd be interesting to chat to you is it's not just about being a pro rider sometimes you know and we're definitely not the best kite surfers or windsurfers on the planet but we've managed to carve a long career and perhaps longer than most out of it. Um, and it's interesting to hear that even you know working as a European marketing director for O'Neill, you've still got a fair bit of water time in and time to actually enjoy yourself. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, firstly, I need to correct you on the bit where you said I was a, a, an excellent windsurfer. That's going <laughs> <that's gonna> to <laughs> cause a lot of amusement. I think it is what you make it. You know, uh, within certain parameters, a lot of people, you know, start in the industry, either start their own companies or working, you know, within the sports industry. Uh, and maybe even coming from a professional background themselves, um, and and doing the sports regularly, and, and that work-life balance is, is is you know the main focus. But then the business just takes over, and I know so many people who you know sometimes founders of these iconic brands, and you say, hey man, when's the last time you went snowboarding, or you know <laughs> when's the last time you're like, oh, I never have a chance to do that anymore. Yeah, and it, too it's, busy. It's too busy, or I'm not fit enough, or uh, you know we move the offices to to. The city center, or um, and that's that, that's really sad, and, and that happens, and that happens a lot. And, I, and sometimes I see myself slipping down that route a little bit. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, no, 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 no. You have to stop uh, yourself. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. right. So when you were working at O'Neill, what were some of the? You know, you mentioned the WQS and stuff. What were some of the biggest projects that you worked on? I think, yeah, the, the events. We we had an event um, which uh, was called the Highland. Highland Open, I think, or the Highland Classic, which which was run in Thurzo. Okay. Um, and it was the, the the coldest ever surfing event and the furthest north. Uh, north, and it went on to become the the, the cold water classic. Um, but I think trying to do something different. I think yeah. you know the, the um, sports the sports industry isn't hugely innovative in, in terms of marketing. You know, a lot of the brands look the same, but particularly within surfing, you know, there seemed to be a real format for what a brand should look like and an athlete should look like and what an event should look like and, and doing something that at the time was really, really groundbreaking. And completely and, different. Yeah, completely different, you know, and all these all these guys, you know, just head to toe in neoprene, freezing cold and <laughs> but but it you know, there's always gonna be someone who's got more money. Yep. You know, who can, you know, easily run an event you know in, in, in the perfect location somewhere but sometimes that's the easy option and a little a little bit more thought and innovation and to do something totally totally different um, and I guess you know being a part of that I was it was just so cool seeing the imagery just looking so different yeah to so everything else that's been done and I think you know a lot of people set up and, and kind of took notice across different industries at the time 
and said, you know, rather than just doing the same event, let's, let's try and do something that's a bit different. Yeah. And, and I guess. Yeah. And if you can't get a crowd there, you know, which you can't, then this is at the time the content was king, you know, just starting yeah. to become king. Maybe it was Prince. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, just, just get great content. Um, and, and we definitely did that back then. And I guess being a wetsuit company doing something somewhere cold, which yeah. wasn't so popular, it was always like nice hot sunny beaches and let's talk about board shorts and bikinis. Yeah, exactly. But that's showcasing your main product. So yeah. from a, a marketing scoop, it's golden. And, and I've seen some other brands, you know, since, you know, really uh, nail their, their colours to the post and, and, you know, say, you know, we are cold water or we are this. And I think as markets mature you know they just homogenize and, and everyone becomes the same and i see it across a lot of the markets that i work in you know and you know in order to stand out you've got to you've got to take some risks yeah and do something completely different and were you heavily involved in the concept of that idea and setting it out and making it happen um, yeah, I was I was involved in the conceptual stage, not so much in the in the, in the running so, around uh, lugging stuff on the beach. And yeah, <laughs> and, and and also um, you know on on trade marketing, I think that's one of the things that people overlook. You know, I think B two B marketing. We did a thing called the um, the psycho tour for retailers. Yeah, I remember and, that. <laughs> <laughs> and we, you know, it's supposed to be this little thing, and uh, we ended up touring all around Europe for months every year doing it. Um, just because you know the, the the retailer is the barrier between you and, and the cus and, and then and the end user, and you know if you get those guys really educated, if you get them on side and you get them you know involved, you know with the, with the R and D process which we did um, by you know bringing a load of prototype products to to a venue, actually getting people in them, using them, you know with an athlete and giving their feedback, they're so much more invested. You know they're more they're more educated. But when there's all those brands in the store, you know, they're going to be like, this is the one that helped develop yeah. and was part of it. And again, you know, it was like it was 16 years ago. And, and now you see most brands, you know, really, because they've got their tech reps and, and those kind of tours. But at, at the time, not not a lot of people it was quite in that industry was doing it. it. And, and um, I was really passionate about it. And I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I think I remember going to one in Queen Mary's Reservoir. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, conditions weren't amazing. Uh, the concept of actually getting to try the wetsuits on and, yeah. and use them there and then was, you know, a brilliant idea. And at the time, it was, you know, a pretty groundbreaking product with a super stretchy neoprene, and you know, things were changing a lot. You mentioned there the sort of, you know, before I get onto brand wave and where you've come in the last sort of ten years, twelve years now. Um, you mentioned the changing face of the, I guess the the uh, the arena for marketing, where it was previously it was you know print magazines and that was who you had to communicate with if you wanted to get your message out there. And you were obviously in it at a time when you know YouTube was kicking off and um, Facebook's and social media and stuff like that was happening. How much um, more power has that given to the brands in terms of how they can market and what they can do? I would say marketing in the last five or ten years has changed more than it has in the last hundred or thousand years. Yeah. Uh, at least in terms of you know the most traditional um, channels, it's changed. But where there's change, there's, there's opportunity. Yeah. And I think um, you know one of the things it's done is called bullshit on um, you know uh, buzzword bingo bullshit marketing you know the, the best just got better etc yeah. you, know, you know back in the day people would just you know just say anything that, that they, they want really 
Um, and outside of advertising standards, you know, there's not much to, to monitor that. But now it's kind of like a self-managing community. So, yeah. you know, if you're going to go buy yourself a, a board or, as you say, a wetsuit or whatever it is, it's just a little click on a review, yeah. you know, and you've got all these communities and blogs, you know, and, and people call bullshit real quick these days. So brands have to, not always, but, but generally be more honest, which... Which is which is an opportunity because if you're if you you know got an, if you're an authentic brand, then you know hopefully your, your target market are gonna are gonna um, latch onto that. Yeah. And and you can um, you can express that that authenticity to, to to a very large market very quickly. The change towards digital is is so rapid and so quick. You know, and it's it's becoming so niche um, that. That most brands are struggling to keep to keep up with it, you know. The the, the shift to uh, you know direct sales, you know, say ten years ago where brands are selling directly, you know, obviously that was um, that was difficult in, yeah. in terms of managing retailers, and obviously you know that's reduced the amount of uh, independent retailers. But the there is so you know every every week you've got a new niche within digital that there's just a specialist agency, you know, influencer management yeah. agencies that are the latest <laughs> ones that are popping up. You know, whereas once upon a time you know you just had a basic digital budget for your website. Now you've yeah. got a, you know a PPC, an SEO, etc., etc., etc. Lots of acronyms, and I think it's. Um, it gobbles up a huge amount of money in terms of um, putting petrol in the tank and and, um, and and spend, and not everybody who does it is as educated yeah. um, as they need to be in order to, to do it wisely. Yeah, it's quite easy to go and blow wedge of cash on a load of rubbish these days, isn't yeah. it? Because you can, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can go and take a chunk of your budget and spend it however you want to. Um, so that kind of segues neatly ish to my next question, which was Bramwave, which is this phenomenal company that you started, is it 11 or 12 uh, years ago? Now? 12 years ago. 12 years ago, yeah. I remember I came along to your 10th anniversary. And uh, I remember Mary was saying, well, it's your 10th anniversary this year. Why aren't we having a big party? I'm like, well, I'm not quite as successful as Dan yet. <laughs> but, you know, it's been, um, it's been a phenomenal growth for you, but I can't imagine it's come without a lot of sacrifice and a lot of hard work. How hard was it when you made that initial decision to say, okay, I'm European Marketing Director at O'Neill. I no longer want to have that comfort and jump out and do my own thing. That must have been... Maybe decision you agonised over. Maybe it was something you were like, no, this is what's going to happen. I don't know. It must have been a, a difficult time or maybe an opportunistic time for you. God, there's the, uh, there's the official story that's in the brochure. And the <laughs> <laughs> the truth, I'm not sure, not sure exactly the same thing. Um, you can go with the unofficial one. Yeah. <laughs> man, it was like, you know... It's kind of like looking over the edge of the cliff when you're when you're going to cliff jump. Like yeah. it, you know, you want to you want to you want to assess the the environment, you know, and make sure you're not going to land on a rock or something like that. But you don't want to look too much, because yeah. <laughs> if you spend too long looking over the edge, you just won't do it. You'll, yeah. you'll calculate all the uh, all the problems, all the risks, and all the reasons you you wouldn't, and you just lose your bottle. And I think um, I had a little bit of information, you know, having dealt with agencies, having studied marketing, and. Um, but I'd never run an agency, never worked in an agency, and um, you know it, that that you know that term, that leap of faith, is, is is exactly what it is. And you know, there's definitely an, an element of luck. Um, I think 
I knew that there was an opportunity, uh, and that came from working with what I would call generic agencies. Yeah. As in, um, I worked with agencies that I chose myself around Europe, and I, and I worked with some that I inherited. And these were good agencies, you know, big agencies dealt with car brands and Disney and dog food and all these different yeah. things. And they're great credentials, you know, and they put all their credentials down and you're like, wow, this is very impressive. And, but then you start talking about like the sports that we, we're in yeah, and the sports, trade shows yeah. that we go to and, and, the, and the athletes and the magazines that you're dealing with. And, you know, for me, that's a small world because I've always been in it, you know, all my friends, all my family. But you get this kind of glazed look in the eye where they're, they're yeah, you know, like what? <laughs> nodding, nodding, like, look confident, you know. And yeah. I'm like, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> the... That I saw the opportunity for sure. I was because uh, I, I couldn't find it myself. You know, I was yeah. out looking for an agency, not just creatively but strategically, who could advise me. Not to say, oh, we'll go away and learn about it, but oh, I need you to come pre-packed. You know, yeah, and, you need to have some, info. some some industry expertise. So, my ethos when I set the company up was, um, we understand your target market because we are your target market, and that's kind of underpinned us the whole way through. So, everybody who works for Brandwave has come from a sports background from um, enthusiastic amateurs like myself right through to um, Olympic gold medalists and, and world record holders. And I think, you know, I, I couldn't understand why um, clients the other side of the world were working with us, you know, when we were, when we were real small. And, you know, they're, they're going to have an agency that's closer, that's on the roster, that speaks the language, yeah. etc. So it's quite a hassle, you know, time zones. Yeah, it can be a real um, I thought, why, you know, why, why are they working with, with, with us? Um, and I realized it's, it's because um, the shared ideology, you know, the shared why, because people, you know, all of us buy with our hearts before we buy with our, with our heads. And many times it was, I think, rather than saying, look, you know, we've got a certain service we need, you know, some, some strategy or a website or a new logo, it, the way you want it as a brand is people say, look, we, we align our values with you and we want to work with you. Let's, let's try and find something, something that we to can work on. Something yeah. to work on. And it took me a little while to come onto that. Um, and I used, to, I used to say to the guys in the office, hey, hey look, tell, tell the clients um, I'm in a meeting, you know, I'm going surfing. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I realized, you know, the reason that, you know, that the clients are working with us is because we're going surfing. surfing. And uh, nowadays, maybe, you know, it's a bit too much the other way. I'm, I'm, I'm off to meet the accountants and I say, oh, tell the clients I'm going surfing. <laughs> <laughs> Make it seem like you're still, I'm still cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still with it. But, uh, Who yeah. were some of your, your first big customers that you got on? Because obviously when you take that leap of faith, you've then suddenly got some wages <laughs> coming in and you're like, right, I need to get some money on the book. Yeah, you know, that's a good, that's a good question. Perception versus truth. The... I think the perception was for sure that, you know, Dan's got some clients lined up, you know, he's got something yeah. up his sleeve, That's you know, wouldn't leave that job at, at, at O'Neill without, a little you know, something. And the truth is I had nothing, you know, I just, really? I, I could see that there was the the opportunity uh, there, you know, that, that, that there was that kind of white space. I knew that I wanted to do something myself. Um and people say, you know, you've got to wait for the right time. I think the truth is there's just never a right no. time, you know, to, to, to do it. I you know, uh, you know everyone's got you know, different stages of life. You know, you've got a mortgage, you've got kids, you've got family. It was just, it was sort of time in my life that I, that I wanted to take the risks and, 
yeah, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have the um, the clients at the time. Um, and actually, my first client was was O'Neill. Um, it's kind of kind of kind of a long story, but they. Uh, I, I heard you just lost your marketing. <laughs> yeah, they called me. They called me back to do to, to help them with a few things in that first year, and it wasn't it wasn't a lot, you know, but it was enough to say to people, "Hey, I've got a client." Yeah. And it was enough for me to think, well, you know, I've got some stuff to work on, and you know, uh, you know, success breeds success, and uh, pretty soon we picked up um, Adidas. And I think back then we did Henry Lloyd. Yeah, which are and, massive brands. Yeah, you know, and, and obviously none of these guys signed over uh, everything on day one. You know, um, it was it, it was it was doing a good job. I think you absolutely have to do a good job. It's also about building relationships. Yeah, so starting know, small. And, yeah, working and, your way up, delivering on your promises. That's it, and just you know. Our success was built on other people's success. You know, the, the, the marketing managers that we dealt with back then, you know, if we did a good job, you know, they got promoted and if we were lucky, we got to, to go on the journey with Do them. Do some more work with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what was the hardest thing in those early days? Did you have quite a big team when you set out or were you just on your own or did you have some designers working for you? Like how, how big was Brandwave in that first year, would you uh, say? In that first year, it was me and the cat. Just you, and the cat. <laughs> no, at least the first four or five months, I think it was me and the cat, and then yeah, we started taking on designers um, and account managers and, and 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 things like that. And yeah, we're really lucky over the years. We've had really good retention um, um, of clients and, and and of and of staff. But I think that is um, that's definitely a, a, about putting people first. Um, yeah, I think I read one of Richard Branson's books years ago, and he said. Uh, take care of your team and they'll take care of everything else yeah and you know i think being able to evolve as a company around people's lives as, as their lives change and not being saying like this is your job you must stay in this job spec or this is the amount that you must work and um you know letting people have sabbaticals to go off and do things they want you know you can't get these athletes these incredible inspirational people and expect them to behave like normal people <laughs> um and I, i've seen people make that mistake and i, I try not to yeah, try and give them a little bit of room to yeah. keep interested. Yeah, yeah. Well, having offices by the beach helps for sure. Yeah, if you want to yeah. go surfing, yeah. go surfing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of. I mean, a lot of the guys here will, will road bike in. Yeah, and you know, and then some of the guys will surf before work as well. And everyone arrives all stinky, or you know, we got we got we got a gym just here as well, and everyone's all stinky in the morning, and you know, queuing up for the showers. And they say, oh, we're going to get changed before the clients arrive. And I was like, no, nah, no. Nah. And I was like, it's fine. <laughs> go, go to the meeting like that. You know, so They'll understand. It's all, it's all part of it. They'll understand exactly. Perfect. And uh, yeah, I, I remember we had a client last year came and he was like, whoa, this place smells of authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> Which was these way. It's a stinky wet suit. Stinky wet suit. Sweaty, uh, <laughs> sweaty, sweaty biking and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Smells <laughs> authentic. There's, wow. there's a sand on the floor. A sign on the dotted line. Yeah. <laughs> what's been the toughest thing over the years um, running Bramwave? Like, what's the hardest thing? Is it keeping the clients and getting you know the money rolling in, or is it keeping hold of the staff, or you know finding you've got less time for yourself? What's been the diff- most tricky thing that you'd say? All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think anybody who who runs a business has, has come up. You know. I'd be surprised to meet anybody who runs a business over, over a long period of time who hasn't come across all those issues, you know, with, um, with, with team, with clients, et cetera, et cetera. I think the, the nature of the work that we do is, is very project orientated. You know, they'll come up quickly. Yeah. There'll be a tight deadline. And, you know, 
very you know um, short lead time on on, on the pitch process etc so trying to resource against that and trying to stay liquid so we'll get periods you know we're running um, you know uh, large like festivals Uh, we did a bunch for Solomon this year um, where everyone is just um, just working around the clock you know and the team's expanding huge I'm trying to bring people in to to, to resource it and then it will just go really quiet and we'll have a you know a big strategy piece and all the strategy guys will be on that but the design team will be you know quiet and so, so, so it moves around a lot and it's very sort of ad hoc and hand, hand to mouth so we really try to you know work less on, on a project basis and, and and set out these days from the outset from the client is look we want to work with you long term we want to be your lead agency and if it takes a couple of projects to prove ourselves, that's fine. But what we're interested in is is building expertise together. Yeah, and 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 that works for the client, and that works for us as well. Because the clients who jump around agencies for say the you know the lowest price, that agency never builds up knowledge yeah. of the product of the of the brand, of, of the brand you know, etc. And the, so you're re-educating them every time. So there's an economy of scale for us as well because. The longer we work with them, the, the more we, we know their systems, the more yeah. we know their products. Um, we've done it before, and, and the quicker and easier it, it should get for, for, for both parties. So that's definitely you know, the challenge, the biggest challenge for me, especially at, at the moment with the economy as it is, is that. Um, but that's also the biggest opportunity and, 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 and what I'm currently working towards. <laughs> Have you got um, a particular project or brand that you work with that you're kind of most proud of where you even now look back and go, that was, you know, absolutely awesome what we put together for that person and what we did? You'd be, you'd be really surprised. Like, everything's awesome. The, <laughs> everything is definitely not awesome. It's, it's the, you know, the longer I've, you know, I've done this for 16 years in the UK and the easy ones don't interest me as much. You know, there's a lot of guys here who can who can do the stuff that we've done in the past. Um, you know, where we're super super confident in it. So I'm less involved in in the easy projects. And also, you know, there's these large global brands already. You know, top of their field. They're doing a great job. They've got much you know equity of the target market. They're going to have how much difference are you going to make? You know, incrementally to that. So I love working with the big large brands and athletes and, and doing that kind of thing because it's nice to be at the top of your game. But if I'm honest, the ones that I really enjoy are the broken ones. You yeah. know, the brands that were cool, yeah. you know, maybe in the 80s or whatever, you know, global, and, you, you know, there's, there's new owners or whatever, and they, and they come in and they're like, you know, it used to be here. Or some of the stuff I've done, like for the RNLI or some fabric brands yeah. and things like that, you know, where they've got um, such amazing um, products or, or services, but... You know, it's not being as communicated as well as it could, and with with not too much effort, we can massively move it from A to B. Yeah. Um, they're you know they are much more grateful, and you see you see the effect. I also really enjoy behavior change stuff. Um, we were involved in the campaign uh, last year for um, Ordnance Survey uh, called Get Outside, which was all about initiative to get people you know more active. We, and we actually won um, a national campaign of the year for, for that one, but awesome. just just seeing the statistics come back of, of the difference that you've made, yeah, um, and the same with um, 
we've got a client now who does um, uh, running events for kids called Go Run for Fun. And again, that's getting kids into sport and a- anything like that where sport is being used, you know, for positive reasons. I, I get huge satisfaction from that. doesn't matter if it's a really big client or, or a really small one. Just gets you excited to... Yeah, for sure. Come to work in the morning. And, and I question it sometimes, you know, like, uh, you know, every now and again, I'm like, oh, does, does this excite me? You know, is, is this what I want to be doing for the next decade of my life? Uh, I just turned 40, you know, so yeah. you, you look at it, but then I was sat in a meeting the other day and I'm like, yeah, this is... Still I'm, I'm not do. going anywhere. <laughs> this, is, this, 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 this still gives me a kick for You're sure. still enjoying it. And obviously, um, in recent years, you know, we were chatting earlier, it's trimmed down a little bit, but the brand wave's grown immensely, you know, um, to a huge um, marketing agency with big customers and everything like that. Is it harder, do you think, now running it than it was in those early days? Or has it just changed in the way that it works? It depends how you measure success. Okay. Yeah, I think um, definitely when I was younger, you know, success for me meant more people yeah. uh, working for you, you know, and, and offices in different countries and, and all those kind of things. I think the way that um, smart agencies are working these days is a lot more collaboratively. The danger is that, as I said, things like digital, you know, they get fragmented. Agencies try to spread themselves too thin across yeah. too many specialisms and what they end up being is shitters. <laughs> Lots of them. <laughs> and I think... Um, you know, that, you know, growth at all costs, um, you know, people get led down different paths to, to go into different things and that's when you run into trouble because you lose your expertise. So what I've actually done in terms of, you know, services is try, try to bring it back a bit to where our core competences are as a company and around creative and strategic. And yes, we do other things like, you know, activation and, and digital, but they should be secondary to primary right. functions of being having a good strategy and making sure that it's, that it's really creative. And I think, you know, also, you know, that having that sort of large standing army of people with the ad hoc nature of the work as well is, you know, there's a much more collaborative approach these days to, to pitches where a lot of larger jobs have gone, gone for recently. We bring in maybe two or three other very, very niche uh, agencies still within sport to come with us and say, look, you know, you're not just getting us. And we're not trying to pretend that we do all these things, but we do know somebody that can who, help out. Who, who does. And, and together we, we provide a pretty solid solution. Yeah. And do you find, um, you know, in recent years that you still, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but you still get time to go windsurfing and surfing and things sure, like yeah. that? Do you make the effort still? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm just back, just back from Brazil, so I can't, uh, I can't. I can't say I don't get any time on the water yet. Because travel's been huge for you, right, over the course of your life. You've been, you know, I've seen some amazing pictures and some amazing places from South America to, you know, Brandon Bay and Ireland, but you've been all over. Is that still a focus in your life that you want to keep traveling? And 100%, yeah. Like, I love, I love travel because it just gives you a little bit of time to reset, you know, of course, I love exploring new places and and uh, meeting new people and all those things. But mainly, I, I find that's when I do the best thinking is when I'm just out on my sort of day to day grind. Um, yeah, the uh, I think you know people get frustrated with certain venues and they say you know it's super crowded and you know all these kind of things. And anywhere that's got direct flights, 
Yeah, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> and the water's warm, and you know, and you're not going to get stabbed when you walk down the street, and the conditions are good. You know, that's going to be crowded. That's a given these days. So I think if you're going to go to those kind of places, you can't complain about it because it's a little bit like going to Disneyland and complaining about the queues. You know, it's just yeah. it's just inherent with it. Definitely, over the last decade or so, I've sort of tried to seek out the places that are a bit further off the map where um, it's not so nice. Yeah, and and my. Um, you know, one of my best buddies, Paddy, who, who I travel with a lot, we, you know, we always laugh, here's another country, you know, it's just <laughs> complete deserts. And, uh, you know, I think places like Pacas Mayo and Peru and, and Baja and Cape Verde and all those kind of places, you know, they're not as attractive, but you will get that. You know, if, if you're going there for the, for, for the, for the surfing or the kiting or the windsurfing, you, you know, you will get that 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 scenario. It's just you and your mates in those perfect, perfect conditions. And yeah, I love that. You've got to travel uh, for it. You got to travel. You got to suffer for it. You know, um, yeah. Only the committed. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I think I should be committed on uh, some of it. I think I, I've got a you know I've got a, a young family now, and the long haul. You know, going going for long periods. Um, away from my, my wife and daughter, I don't enjoy it as much. Yeah. So I, um, that's changed a bit, but for sure, I still I still try to um, travel. And for, for me, nowhere in the world do I get as as excited about as Ireland. You know. Really? Still. Yeah. I think you know. I of course I love Hawaii. I love I love all the all the um, you know South Africa, all the famous spots. But you know, there's always going to be a lot of people there, and you know. Um, whereas in, in, in Ireland, I just, I just always have the, the best day at something. And it's just, just you and one or two friends and a stunning scenery. And yeah, I don't know. I just get, maybe it's the Guinness. I just, I just get the, uh, <laughs> I just get the best feeling. It's a pretty magical spot. I guess with Ireland, you can take your wife and daughter with you as well. Yeah, for sure. And so it's just, not like you're dragging them off to some godforsaken desert somewhere yeah, in South America. Totally, yeah. You can sell it. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, does that as well yeah it makes it a bit better I know you went um, you've worked quite closely with you know one of my heroes from my windsurfing days which was Francisco Goya how did that come about and I know he's a good friend of yours and you've done a few trips with him and things yeah I've I've, uh, done lots of trips with Francisco I had him over here a couple of weekends ago um, on my birthday the um, I think I met I met Francisco when I was a a teenager in the first time I went to Hawaii in my late teens um, back before he was he was world champion and I think just became friends um, chatting on the beach and um, just stayed stayed in touch and then obviously when I was working with O'Neill he was one of our team riders and world champion and etc etc but um, I think you know obviously he's, he's, not, he's, he's an iconic windsurfer and you know he's got a style that I don't think anyone's ever really replicated since but um, for me I think Francisco is a um, definitely a mentor yeah. figure in, in, in my life and uh, I, I don't want to surf so much with him but discuss family and work and, and stuff like that and he's a super super smart guy um, and has been so successful himself uh, business wise and I think you know there's um, a, along with uh, you know the rest of his family um, there's a you know it's a classic case of those you know high performing athletes who can take that discipline and that dedication of mindset and just, you know, when they finish being a professional athlete, just turn it to something else like business yeah. and just go straight to the top as well. Reapply um, those same principles. Yeah, same, same principles for sure. And it makes me really happy to see what Lala and Francisco, you know, and, and Keith the Bull have achieved 
with, with that group. And um, yeah, Francisco was super, super um, inspirational and, and helpful with, with me uh, setting up Brown Lake there on our first clients. I mean, I way, guess way back. I guess as well because when you were windsurfing back when you were 11 years old and madly in love with the sport, you yeah. know, there's a lot of heroes out there that you've now had the opportunity to work with and, you know, meet around a ballroom table on the same level as. That must be quite an exciting prospect, I guess, or experience. Yeah, 100% um, across different sports, you know, and especially in the sports that I know less about where one of the guys who works with me you know, might, you know, uh, be in snowboarding or, or in biking or whatever and say, oh my God, you know, there's, there's this guy, you know, I, I know less about it. But it's funny, I think with, with, yeah, with, with, with a lot of the top guys, it's their energy yeah. that I just find so attractive. You know, you literally, you know, there's, there's those people who can drain your energy. I sound a little bit, a little bit hippie when I say this. <laughs> Drillers and fillers. But yeah, <laughs> but it is, you know, and like I recharge off some people like that, you know, the people who just have that that unstoppable mentality of once they set their mind on something, they're going to go and achieve it. And if, if I go away on like a photo shoot or a video shoot, or I just get to work, you know, strategically um, with some of the people you've had on your, on your podcast, I just come out of it like recharged and full of ideas and more confident. And I think people in sports, you know, they stay young. And positive, and I think you know you and I and people who work in this industry kind of take that for granted, you know, because because yeah. we've done that. But you look at other industries, you know, where people just aren't that that happy, no, and positive. <laughs> you know, it's probably what's kept me in it for so long. You know, is the is the positivity, and I always say that brown wave solar powered. You know, it's like positive energy is is you know, it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And have you got quite a few mentors that have helped you from a business perspective along the way that you've you know looked up to at the time? Yeah, there's you know there's there's people I think who've who've dipped um, in and out, are different people, and there's people who've kind of been there in the background um, the whole way. Um, I'd say Pete and, and D Caldwell, yeah, um, for sure. Um, those guys, Pete, you know, um, was, was my first boss at, at, at O'Neill, and but he's always. You know, kept a watchful eye out and uh, and uh, helped me. And D as well has had a load of brands. And um, I think you know those guys are sort of industry icons. And you know they've just done so much. Uh, sometimes you know rather than trying to figure something out for yourself, you know it's so useful just you know just have someone to inspire you or just give you a shoulders cry on or just have a beer and chat through it. Someone who's been through it. You know, yeah. I really really believe in in in, in mentors and and, and Francisco. And also we've had like formal mentors, you know, through different schemes, you know, we've had non-execs and people like that. And again, it's just, um, it's so important to have that external perspective, I think in life. Yeah. You know, be a coach, you know, it's the same in sports, you know, um, I came quite late to getting coached myself in sports and I just wish I'd done it earlier. And I think the principles of, you know, we call it uh, hashtag brown wave team. But that's because I try to run it like a sports team, and those principles are exactly the same. And and, and also then you know I mentor the um, uh, the, the newer team then as, as they arrive. Yeah, so you're passing on the knowledge that you've gained and trying to yeah. <laughs> keeping it rolling, learning from my mistakes. <laughs> um, you've obviously had a, a young daughter recently. Has that changed your perspective on running your own business and? Because obviously, you know, you've mentioned a few times that 
it's a very ad hoc in terms of you probably if I asked you what was happening at the end of the year, do you know how much money's going to be in your bank account? You'd be like, I have no clue. Yeah. Does that make it a little bit more nerve wracking now or are you confident in your own abilities? I think it's a bit like going to those locations that I said, you know, where you can't complain about the crowds because that's inherent. You know, there's a level of stress in dealing with having your own company and then that's exacerbated if you're going to have a, a marketing agency, particularly in the services that that, that we do. So there's, you, you just can't complain about it. You know, if, if you don't want to, if you don't like it, do something, do, it. do something else. Um, and you know, every now and again, I have to you know, a little moment of self reflection and and just man up a bit and <laughs> <laughs> and, and just get on with it. Um, in terms of having a daughter, yeah, I think what that's given me. Is perspective for sure um, as I said I think like that sort of growth at all costs you know um, it depends how you measure success you know because you need to measure success in time with the family yeah and time to do your sports and you know you need to have objectives like that so you know what I do now sometimes I look at projects and I look at how much commitment or how much risk is involved and I say okay you know that's really really good but what's the opportunity cost yeah, you know, for my stress levels, you know, how it's going to affect me as a, as a person and my ability to be a good husband and father, and I, and and then I think also with having a daughter, um, I've become a lot more interested in the next generation in all the sports that, yeah. that, that we deal with, and, and just seeing how important those feeder programs are, and appreciating how young, um, <laughs> pretty much from day one, you know, uh, you know, kids are involved in 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 play, which goes on to become the sport. sports. And for, for me with my daughter, um, yeah, I think a, a lot of my friends expected me to be real pushy. And, you know, um, it's almost like a competition with parents on Instagram, isn't it? You know, yeah. oh, they're skiing and then yeah. this and then yeah. the Doing a backflip at two. Right? Yeah, and you see all these YouTube <laughs> things. And but having coached young kids, you know, in, in sports, I've seen what those pushy parents do and then and they just turn them off. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and my mum, you know, was and still is, you know, really into a lot of sports. And what she was amazing at doing was just exposing me, you know, not saying you have to do this, but just giving me the opportunity to uh, go skiing or go horse riding or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, and see if you like it. Yeah, see if you like it. And, and, if, and if you're keen to push it further, then that's great. That's exactly it. So I think with, with, with my daughter, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do it right, you know. Try not <laughs> try, to push it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really big with the swimming lessons. Yeah, because you're like, going to need that. Because I'm like, like you, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you're going to. Uh, yeah, that's um, that's just the start. That's going to get useful. And in recent years, I know your wife Jess has started working at Brandwave. Has that changed the dynamic in the office, or is that you know oh, how's that been? You're asking me uh, the tough questions. Um, <laughs> The, um, yeah, you know, like, oh, oh, Jess and I have been together like 15 years when, so, you know, when we got together, we were quite young and, and we were really different. You know, uh, uh, Jess is, is very academically smart and she's got a, a PhD in chemistry and, you know, she, she worked as a as management consultant. So really it just seemed as far away from, from what I was doing as, as possible. But, Actually, she started her own company um, called Emphasis, and they had did, did a lot to do with materials and technology. And then, when you get down to it, you know, sports is a lot about technology as well, and a lot of 
you know, the materials brands and the technology brands, you know, span across different industries. And it came closer and closer together where we needed her consulting on projects and she was really good at it. <laughs> and um, eventually uh, it got to the point, you know, where she was pretty much heading up a lot of stuff. And I said, I think, you know, we had a conversation, we have to, you know, come in and Jess is now our head of strategy and um, yeah, definitely a lot smarter than me. Um, and, and she brings it. She brings a, a, a very different energy, I think, to the company, um, which is good because it balances me out. And it's good in so many different ways, you know, in terms of flexibility. Um, however, you know, all the cliches are true as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, yeah, you don't you don't get much work life separation. Yeah, uh, it's a typical thing. You go home, what do you talk about? It's exactly. not like, how was your day? It's like, I don't want to hear how your day uh, was. We've been at work all day together. That's that for sure. You know, there's that element. But, you know, and, and we talk about it, but you, you just got to weigh, you just got to weigh the pros against the cons. And for me, at this point, the, it, uh, the, pros, the pros definitely outweigh, outweigh the cons, yeah. Have you ever had to give her a disciplinary? <laughs> <laughs> I think she, she gives me a disciplinary <laughs> Yeah, everyone knows who the real boss is. Yeah, that's um, always a tough one, isn't it? Um, getting back onto the sort of the state of the action sports market, you're involved in you know a lot of different sports these days, from running to sailing to rowing. You know, a lot of mainstream sports and Olympic sports. Do you see differences between you know the sort of core surfing, windsurfing um, sports, and how their outlook is on the industry compared to those bigger, more mainstream? activities there's a lot a lot to cover in that question (laughs) (laughs) i think again it depends how you measure success so with an action sport say take as you say windsurfing or kite surfing for example um people say the market's shrinking the market's shrinking every year well who's telling you the market's shrinking the brands are telling you that the market's shrinking that doesn't mean the market's shrinking. That means that they're selling less product. Um, and that's because they're making products that, you know, are too good. There's no planned obsolescence. Yeah. You have a striking match, you know, and across all the sports, you know, the, the kites, the boards, the surfboards are way more versatile. You know, they've got much wider range. They're stronger. Yeah. Um, and the evolution slows down, no matter what anyone tells you. You know, from the inception of a sport, as as it matures, they become less different from, from from year to year. So the market gets flooded with brands, and it gets flooded with secondhand kit. So you know, I go, I go down to my my local beach, and I can't even get a, a parking space. You know, so there's a lot of people on the water, but you know, they're, they're getting their kit. You know, cheap. You know, much cheaper, a couple of months old. You know, it's already been discounted. So the, the market for new stuff, you know, may be decreasing, but that doesn't necessarily that mean that that um. The participation participation in action sports is decreasing, and certainly my experience is that, as I said, it's pretty. uh, Most of the beaches I go to around the world are pretty robust. Just people keep their kit a little bit longer. Yeah, I think in terms of the 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 action sports industry, you know, the bulk of it, you know, is made up by the large, you know, the big four, the clothing brands. A lot of the research that 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 we did back in the day would tell you that ninety percent of the people. You know, who go to an outlet store in Idaho, you know, aren't, aren't uh, no offense to anybody from, from Idaho, but, you know, aren't involved in, in the sports, you know, and in most of these places it became, it became a, um, 
it became a product for the for the for the mass market. Yeah, you know, and and when you, when you go into the central city and every single bank is you know wearing it, you lose you lose authenticity. Yeah. So I think lost you that know, core. You lost that core. So the, the the apparel market, you know, which ran strong for at least twenty years, doing big logos on, on cheaply made products, you know, that has you know very publicly uh, fallen off a cliff over, over the last few years, and that's for for for, for a number of reasons. But it's, it's cyclical as well. You know, stuff doesn't stay in fashion forever. And action sports in terms of the mainstream fashion, in terms of mainstream brands getting involved in it and sponsoring events, that will come back. It always does because I've seen it across other industries. Yeah. And then and in terms of the other industries that, that, that we work in, you know, there's ones that are going, there's ones that are plateauing, like the outdoor industry. You know, outdoor industry is still massive, but it's... It's definitely slowing, slowing right down, and becoming very crowded and, and, and homogenized. You know, you take the logo off a lot of the products. Yeah. Um, nowadays, you know, a red, a red um, Gore-Tex jacket, you know, by any one brand is pretty similar. Um, so I think you know that's a natural evolution of that market. But there's other markets that are absolutely booming. You know, the bike market is um, is booming, obviously, particularly in in, in road bike, um, and I think the fitness market is just going crazy, specifically the, the boutique fitness market. Yeah. Um, we work a lot with, with um, Adidas and Reebok and, and, and Les Mills. And, and that market for, for accessible sports, you know, is, is the new midlife crisis. Yeah. You know, people are a bit older and being the best shape that they, that they ever were. But also people who've got busy lifestyles, being able to just plug into, you know, uh, something streaming at home or just go to a group fitness class or just get on that road bike. Those markets are, are, are booming, but but they also are kind of feeder markets to what we do yeah. because when, when I was a kid, you did your sport and that was your sport. You know, there was the footballers and there was the surfers and, and they'll, ne- they'll never mix. And I remember, again, probably about a decade ago, I started to see the shift where I went down the local beach and all the guys are wearing um, outdoor brands, you know, North Faces and Burkhouse and these kind of things. You're like, oh, well, that's unusual. Yeah. You know, and you, well, they're just better products at the time. You know, they actually kept you warm. And I, I thought that's, you know, that's going to spell disaster for the, the the action sports apparel industry, which which it did. But, but also it was an indication that people were moving across sports. And yeah. now, I mean, I know friends that we've both got, you know, and you, you're a great example. <laughs> you know, people will do complementary sports. Yeah. You know, four or five. And that just didn't happen the same way um, that it did. We call it the polyathlete. You know, and people realise that in, in order to be good at, you know, uh, maybe a particular water sport, you can't just do that sports. You need to train and and, and you know and have good cardio and be physically fit um, for the for the days that conditions aren't good. And that might involve you know mountain biking or fitness classes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's the big trend. And the smart brands are the ones who, who are moving strategically into complementary markets. Right. Um, because people who are brand loyal want to take that, you know, their brand that they say, that, look, this is a good identifier for who I am. They don't want to just have it in, in, in one market. They want to move into one where it's got principally the same demographic. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, 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 that's an opportunity um, for those who do it right. And... Um, then it can work really, really badly for those those brands who just kind of do the me too marketing and jump onto fitness and, and this and that without or outdoor 
lot of action sports brands for coming outdoor brands do it without any sort of real understanding or authenticity and then uh, the market rejects them and, and they pay a big cost for that I guess it comes back to something you said earlier that people call bullshit people call bullshit you know yeah. and so if you've got oh yeah we're, we're a predominantly outdoor brand we're going to dip into you know running or treadmills or something like that and yeah. people will spot if they're not actually fully behind it and supporting it and and as a as a strategic consultancy, we get briefs like that a lot. Really, you know, and that as as advisors is something that, that we try to uh, to guide to brands in. Yeah, so they may be very big on in one market, and they'll say, you know, we want to move into this market, and we would do the do the due diligence, map the landscape, and sort of see, you know. Is there a demand for that that brand there? You know, or, and and what could it what could it look like in terms of products, in terms of messaging, in terms of target market? Um, because you, you don't get a second chance to make that that first impression. Yeah, if you've messed it out the first time in this yeah. day and age, yeah. then it's all over the internet and everyone knows about Absolutely. it. Absolutely, and I, I know brand, I know brands are trying to move moved into you know a market four times and pulled out again, you know, because <laughs> there's money to be made in this. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so you can you can mess it up. Doesn't work. What do you say? Because one thing, you know, talking about brands and the state of the industry and stuff like that, something we hear a lot, you know, amongst kite surfers and probably not so much amongst windsurfers, maybe, but there's this sort of phrase that, oh, you know, there's too many kite surfers and we don't need any more and, oh, it's just ridiculous and we should stop teaching people. And I, I always hear that and just think, well, that's ridiculous because if it stops, then the sport will die and then you won't have any new kites to use and things like that. And with windsurfing, it kind of had that massive boom period in the 80s where it went completely huge. And then it stayed pretty big, probably until kiting came along. And then a lot of people sort of jumped ship. And it seems to be having a sort of a really peak and trough resurgence at the moment. Where do you think, you know, that sport's headed in terms of sales and market Which dominance? Sports? Windsurfing. I think I talk about accessibility a lot, you know, because I, I work in sports like football you know it's just it's that easy, so easy it's yeah. so it's so accessible the ball and a bit you know, of grass and, and running you know and running and and i know companies who, who um who have worked in those markets and had very successful brands and events and want to move into into uh, other more complicated markets where participation is more difficult you know as soon as you've got to drive somewhere as soon as you've got to take something um and windsurfing you know in, in its heyday, was 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 super super accessible um, because you know you'd one sail and you know I was back in when, I think I started windsurfing in eighty nine and yeah yeah one sail on easy. board and 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 that was it and if you went to a contest you're competing no matter what you know yeah. the winds were light if the winds are strong one design windsurfer class job done a hundred percent I think the, the the frustrations you know which which anybody who does this sports can relate to is you go on holiday you don't get conditions or you book your time off with your wife and family and you go to the beach and it's it's flat you know that breeds a lot of frustration um and people move out to sports that are always there you know they they just start going to the gym or or, or you know they, they go to their five-a-side football club because it's always there it's always on no matter what i think what's changed over the last few years is technology has made a massive difference for example i'm part of a whatsapp group for, for you know the local surfing windsurfing kite surfing community and there's guys who are in london you know they don't get those dodgy trips to the beach anymore you know they used to go the frustration but now like it's up there all the local experts on the beach who know it, it are telling you you know when it's going to be good and 
um, you know, you know what size size gear to use and where to go, and so that results in much better experiences, which gets people back into the sports. So I've seen people, quite a few of my friends actually, you know, I never thought we'd get back into these sports, getting back into it. I think in terms of your question on, on crowding and and how many people should do it. Um, yeah, how do you measure the size of a sport? Because it, it tends, if you take football or rugby or tennis, how, what percentage of, of the people who are involved in that sport maybe don't even do it at all or do it very, very little? They're fans yeah. of the sport. And you talk about fan engagement and you know, um, fan activation. You know, that's a huge, huge industry. We don't have that. You know, um, you know, most of the, pretty much all the people, I think, who watch a kite or windsurf event um, and you know are going to do the sports themselves it doesn't have that that sort of fan audience yet but then you see like sports are transitioned um like road biking yeah you know that went from pretty much only people who watched road biking and the people who did road biking and then i think around 2012 you know with the olympics and the tour de france especially in the uk you know um it, it became a, a, a yeah. sport with fans and and it took them a while to adapt to that. And I, and I see the same thing happening, you know, um, with WSL and surfing, where it's starting to become, you know... A fan sport. Yeah, which is, which, which is exciting. So th- there's, there's definitely that, how do you measure the size of the sport element to it? And I think the other thing, I think Robbie Nash said it, um, the thing about sports that are cool is that um, lots of very uncool people <laughs> <laughs> want to do it. Want to do it. Uh, and definitely you see that, you know, with, with yeah. surfing. So for you know, if people say windsurfing and kite surfing is uncool, I'm like, yeah, man, yeah. <laughs> keep it that way. Yeah, it is good. And you need those people, you know, that's yeah. who you need. They're the people that are buying the equipment and I'm, stuff. I'm know. quite happy being uncool. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think kiting's ever been cool, really. It's like the rollerblading of the seas is how I often equate <laughs> to it. And people who try and make it cool and get upset about the uncool people in it, you're just like, you're fighting a losing battle. Like, yeah. it's never going to be good. It's it's fun. That's yeah. what it is. It's yeah, if they being... asked to say no, man, you'd hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. That's what it's about. It's about getting people into it because yeah. it's enjoyable. And um, where do you see yourself in the next five years, Dan? Where's the path that you're on at the moment, or are you working next next job to next job? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's always an element of that, and that's what keeps it fresh for me. That's that's why I like running an agency because. As opposed to working brand side, it can get a little bit like like Groundhog Day. Um, and as I said, I do like that feeling of oh shit, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit out of my depth here. You know, we don't, you know, we know what a, you know. People come to us as a specialist, but sometimes it's yes, you know, sport has you know not been done in this market. But I've I've done it for long enough that I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. So even if we don't have all the answers, that kind of what we're paid to do and both strategically and creatively, and I trust myself and my team that we've done it long enough that the process, the process will work, yeah. the diagnostic process, you know, and that we'll, we'll get to, to a good endpoint. Um, I definitely enjoy the, um, personally, I enjoy the strategy side of things more and more. The, the more I do it and the more experience I have, the more thematically you can see the same problems with, with companies and opportunities, yeah. and, 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 and the, the better you, you get at it. Um, and I'd, I would, would personally like to work less in the sort of day-to-day running of, of the company 
and maybe the, the other sort of uh, departments focus and, on and more on sort of adding value where where I can it's quite it's quite difficult to quantify something that's in your head yeah you know if people say oh you know how much how many thousand pounds so yeah that's going to take you five minutes to I'm like yeah five minutes and, and, and 20 of years of learning yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's all the knowledge that you've acquired and built yeah. up as to how to to put it in the right spot yeah. that's what matters um and so you know at the moment everything at brown wave going well yeah the, the, the exciting for balance. me is yeah it, it changes you know like the work-life balance there's times when it's really really crazy um and you just got to remember, you just got to remember not to always be working, you know, when it's a bit quieter and to take that time out and, and do the sports and spend time with, with your family. And, um, yeah, as I said, you know, definitely as I get a little bit older, that perspective is something that I've, I've, I've gained a lot of. Um, and empathy, I think. <laughs> I think empathy, you know, people are real quick to judge on, um, on decisions that other companies make and, and people make but you've got to understand the context at all times so now when people ask ask me for my opinions on things i'm i'm a little slower to answer until, until i understand <laughs> all the circumstances surrounding uh whatever it is i think that's something that only comes with age isn't it yeah. <laughs> that makes me sound like i'm 100 though. well when you're you know just getting your first job at O'Neill and you're busy telling them everything that's wrong with the company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot, of, a lot of confidence. What are you going to say? Keep faking it until you make it. And, yeah. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Dan, that's been really insightful. Thanks very much for that. I think we've waffled on for over an hour, which is plenty to go from. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been, it's been um, an honour and a privilege. There we have it. Episode 18 in the bag. I'm not sure who the next episode is going to be. I actually haven't got it recorded, so that's the first time since I've been doing this series where I've not had an episode in the bank, so to speak. Um, but there's plenty of people around on the beach at the moment, so I shall try and hook up. I'm trying to speak to Lewis um, Craven and then Aaron, Aaron Hadlow as well and a few other people I've got in mind, Ruben Lenton. So I shall be beavering away to get that done this week and hopefully by next Monday you can find out who I managed to chat to. As ever... Please give these a thumbs up on social media, a like and a share. It's only two seconds of your time. It does make a big difference to me. If you can tell your friends about it, let people know about the Intriguing Beings podcast, that makes a big difference as well. Just the more people that listen, the more it encourages me to keep doing these. And I know a lot of you out there are really enjoying them because I'm getting some really good feedback. If you've ever got anything you want to let me know about, then hit me up on social media on Instagram or send me an email and if you've got any ideas for this series then please let me know too. Anyway, have a fantastic week. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening to the Intriguing Beings podcast with me, Rue Chater.